Thank you for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this will lift your heart and encourage you, set your eyes more fully on Jesus as we open God's word together. You can join us anytime in person or online in our live stream. You can find that at redemptionhilldc.org. If you're not in D.C., we encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live for the sake of encouragement and accountability in a local body, but we're also glad to have you join us and, and walk through this study with us. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill, you can do so at our website, again, redemptionhilldc.org. Um, Father, there's, there's a lot that weighs heavy on us today. As, as we've already prayed together, as Emily led us, uh, what's going on in Ukraine weighs heavy on us. It's scary, and we, we don't know how this thing's going to go. It's hard to watch what's happening. We've got enough going on in our own lives, and as we're still trying to navigate through the COVID pandemic and trying to figure out what the future may hold there and, and trying to make plans in our lives but not knowing, the uncertainty can, be, can feel crushing. So we thank you that we can come together every week as a church family, to be reminded of what is certain and sure. We pray today that you would move in our hearts to give us a settledness and a settled rest. We pray, too, that on this last Sunday of, of Black History Month, that you would, um, that especially for people in our family as a church, that are, who, have, who have struggled through the systemic issues that still exist in this country, that you would bring encouragement and hope. We, we pray that you would use your people to lift up the dignity and beauty and, and honor of every image bearer of God. And we thank you that, that you are saving people from every tribe and language and tongue and nation. And we pray that you would help us to reflect that reality more clearly in our lives. And now, Father, as we open your word, we ask that by your spirit you would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I, a few years ago, realized that I didn't read enough fiction. Um, that might be, feel like a weird thing to say, but in seminary, I got trained how to read, and this was, I, I mean, this is kind of strange. I guess seminary ended for me a lot of years ago. <laughs> And, and you get trained to read and read quickly and to retain things, but it's all theological work and dense and heady. And there came a point where I was looking at, at the library that's been accumulated over the last 20 plus years and realized like, there's a gap here. I haven't read most, um, a lot of classics that people talk about. And, and so as I've been trying to fill in my own reality in, in literature, I've really gotten, the stuff that I've gravitated toward most is historic fiction. I think it's interesting to read. It takes on past events and history that gets, um, you know, gets a little color and flavor beyond what we can get in history books and, and writes in characters into the moments. And, and I think there's something in us. This gets into like movies we watch and period dramas that we watch that there's something in us that looks back at major events in world history and wonders what was it like to live in that time? What was it like to live through these events? I don't want to do that anymore. I would love just a few months without anything historic happening. Like, we've had enough over the last couple of years. It feels like everything that happens, we're like, well, this hasn't ever happened before. 
But it has. It just hasn't happened the way it's happening in, in our lifetimes. Human history is cyclical. And, and, but it, with, we've, with all the history we've experienced over the past few years, like I'm good at this point. It'd be nice if things just settled down for a little bit. But we know, too, that, that that's an illusion. That's not actually going to happen. Now, it might not be an ongoing pandemic forever, Lord willing. And it might not be the threat of a global war, Lord willing. But no matter what, there's a reality that this life in this world that we are living in, we are walking through a dark place. There are forces of darkness and wickedness and evil everywhere. There's war and suffering and death surrounding us, division and dehumanization and oppression and abuse. And in a society that, that works as hard as it can to relativize morality and say that every one of us has to go and find my truth, there are points that things happen that language changes. And all of a sudden, things are reported and are identified immediately as this is evil, this is wicked. And, and rightly so. Well, today we continue in John's gospel. And as we head in, back into this text today, Jesus can, is teaching. And he was, he was in Jerusalem where we left off, and he was in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. He was teaching through that, and he had caused some confusion. People weren't understanding what he was saying and what he was doing. Um, last time we were in John, we looked at the story of, um, of the woman who, who, and we talked about the, whether that text fits here, but we see today Jesus continuing to speak to the people in Jerusalem during this feast. We'll see themes that were, were resonating through chapter 7, if you've been with us, and if you weren't, don't worry about it, because they're coming back up. John has a tendency to write in kind of a circular pattern and re-hit the same things and expand them and expand them as he goes. But in today's passage, Jesus identifies what it looks like to walk in the darkness or to be in the light. And so we're going to see some of those characteristics. And as we do, my hope is that you'll be able to think about yourself and your own heart and your own life and whether you are more walking in darkness or standing in the light. And so this is what we read in John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them, these religious leaders, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony isn't true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I, I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore... Where's your father? And Jesus said, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So again, he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. And where I am going, you cannot come. And so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from below. I am from above. 
you are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that, I would die, that you would die in your sin, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so Jesus is the light of the world. Verse 12, that starts this section, is a subtitle for the whole section. Everything that follows is built on what he has to say at the start. When he says, I am the light of the world, and he says to these people, to these leaders, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so this is the theme throughout it, and this is where it lays out the option that we are either going to walk in darkness or we are going to be with Jesus and have the light of life. Those are the two options that we have. And this gets back, this isn't new in John's gospel. This is something that, again, John tends to introduce themes and then weave them through and then bring them to their fullness as he goes. And so he's introducing things even in this passage. But if you remember, the way that this gospel started is that John wrote, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so John 1, the very start of this gospel, and if you remember, John wrote all these things. He tells us his purpose at the end of it. He wrote all these things down that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so he starts right from the top by introducing Jesus and saying, this is God incarnate. The Word took on flesh and dwelt among us, and in him we have seen God's glory. And so he introduces the deity of Jesus from verse 1, and, but this theological reality that he introduces introduced in chapter 1, he now in chapter 8 is showing us the practical implications for us. Saying, okay, he is the light of life, so what? And as he was interacting here with Jewish leaders and these Pharisees in the temple courts, near the treasury of the temple, it tells us the location. As that was happening, he is laying out to them realities that we, are, we see over and over and over again, they just don't understand. Like when he says... You know, he talks about his father, and he's like, and they're like, where is he? Where's your dad? And even later, John's like, they just didn't understand he'd been speaking about the father here. Like, they didn't get it. They weren't hearing anything that he had to say because they didn't have ears to, he- to hear. But the options that Jesus is saying here is that there are two choices. You either follow Jesus, you follow him, or you don't. You either walk in darkness or have the light of life. And the side you end up on in this question will shape everything about you. So Jesus is the light of the world, and this shows us, this passage shows us that there are five areas in this text that Jesus sheds light into the darkness on. And so the first one is that Jesus' judgment is true. He sheds light on the realities that must be judged. 
You see this in verse 14. He says, all right, I bear, even if I do bear witness, because they're saying, you don't have a true testimony. You're lying to us. And he says to them in verse, in verse 16 or 15, you judge according to the flesh. Now, it says in the ESV here, I judge no one. And then later on, you got to love this, right? That later on in verse 26, Jesus says, all right, I have a lot to say about you, and I have much to judge. <laughs> so which one is it? Well, I think back in the first section, Jesus isn't saying that he doesn't judge at all. He's saying that, that these people that he's talking to, and we as human beings judge according to our flesh, and he doesn't judge anyone by those standards. That he's from above, we're from below. And so we'll see that play itself out as we go. But, but for us, this is a reality. We judge people according to our flesh, according to the realities that we see in front of us. And we don't know how to do otherwise. And we are all kinds of judgy. I mean, right now, we see that in the way that people interact with each other, but it's, it's hidden in some of us, and some of us, it's really outward. It depends on who we're with, though, right? Like, there's some people that you know you've got to be careful about how judgy you get, and so you just, like, you want to, make, you want to come off as kind and, grace, and gracious. And then you get with the right person who's close enough, and all bets are off. There are times when Alyssa and I will sit, we'll go out to dinner, and we'll sit and look around the restaurant and start making up stories for the other people we see around us. Have you ever done this? Where you're like, I wonder what's going on with them. Like, that, guy, that guy's clearly cheating on his wife right now. <laughs> He's got a ring and she doesn't. They could be business associates out for dinner. But we start, like, we start making up these stories and, 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 you know, not so passively judging everybody around us and deciding what's going on with them. But, it, but that's like, nobody's getting hurt by that, but it does reveal something about the, the darkness of our souls, I guess. But in that, that, that's a posture that every one of us takes. And, and we need to keep in mind that when we look at people and events and decisions and realities around us, that, that we find ourselves certain we come to a point of certainty about events that we haven't witnessed. We come to certainty about other people's motives and why they've done what they've done. And we come to a certainty in, internally that of the results of our actions on others. And so right now, many of us have certainty about what should be happening and at what pace and at what speed in the, in the heartbreaking conflict in Ukraine. We have strong feelings about it, and often fueled by something that's good within us, but there's a reality that none of us has all of the information. We have certainties about other people in our lives, and this is where I mentioned that we so often look at other people, and especially those closest to us, our, whether it's a roommate or a mom or a dad or a spouse or a kid, and we make all kinds of assumptions about each other's motives and decide, like, well, they said this because this is what they were really meaning, without actually inviting, like, hey, is this what you actually meant? When other people come to us and, we, and they talk about how our actions have impacted them, we have a tendency to get defensive and explain why that simply can't be the case. See, we come to a point of certainty because we are judging and looking around us and making evaluations based on what we see, and we forget that we have limited information we have limited knowledge. We have limited perspective. We can only see through our own eyes. And that we have limited power to change anything. Now, Jesus is the one that comes and he's saying here that, he, that clearly, 
If I do judge, my judgment is true, for it's not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. Earlier on in chapter 7, he said this, or claimed clearly that he was the one that would judge all people in the end. And so he's clearly making a claim to deity there. But what Jesus is saying is, you all have limited perspective and limited information and limited knowledge and limited power to change anything. Then he knows, with God the Father as his witness, that he is fully human, and yet Jesus is fully God, meaning he is all the things that we are not. That he, has, he is omniscient. That means he knows everything. That he is omnipresent. That means that he doesn't have a limited perspective on the reality of life, and that he is omnipotent, which means he is powerful to actually bring change. And so where we are limited and yet come to great certainty, Jesus is saying here that we judge according to the flesh, but his judgment is true, and he will shine light into the realities of the darkness of this world. We see this in John's vision later on of Jesus in Revelation, that if you read and see, hear the imagery of Jesus as he appeared to John, it talks about his eyes being like fire. This is a symbol that he sees everything, brings light to everything, and that his view of things will bring a purifying reality on it. And so one of the five areas in this text that Jesus sheds light into darkness is with true judgment. The second is that Jesus makes it possible to know God. This is where he goes on in 19 and 20, when they say to him, all right, who is your father? He answered, ah, you don't know either one of us. Because if you knew me, you would also know my father. He's saying, yeah, my father is a witness to me, and you guys don't know him. Now remember, these are the Pharisees. These are religious leaders and teachers. And where was Jesus standing? He's in Jerusalem at the temple. Now, during this feast, uh, there's, there's some history here for us, too, that during this feast in particular in Jerusalem, the, the, one of the inner courts, not the court of the Gentiles, but just inside of that in the temple was the court of women, and there were four massive lamps, oil lamps, that stood way above the walls of the temple that they, people would climb up on ladders every night at dusk and light up these lamps, and it would shine through the city of Jerusalem. And so this is the visceral reality as Jesus is there for this feast when he is saying to these leaders, I am the light of the world while these lamps are standing there, maybe lit, lit at that moment. And so now he's saying to them like, hey, you don't have the ability to judge except according to your flesh. I judge in truth. Uh, and if you want to know God, then I'm the one that makes it possible. Now, obviously, they didn't understand at this moment that when he says Father, he's talking about God the Father. John makes that clear to us, and they would have responded differently if they did understand that. Instead, they're confused and ask who the Father is, but, but it, he makes it possible to know God. And my fear today is that for some of you, your ears might be just as closed as the Pharisees in this text. Because everything in our world will try to convince you that the pathways it has set up are, are your greatest hope. But they're not. Anything apart from Christ is a pathway into darkness. Now, how do we know that? Well, think about this. There is nothing sure for us. We have no guarantees. We don't know what the future brings. We don't know what implications, decisions we make bring. We do our best and hope for the best, but... How often do you feel like you've done everything right and things still go wrong? 
it happens over and over and over again. And then we walk through decisions and we do like these postmortems and overthink things and think like, well, maybe if I would have done this or said this, you know, we replay conversations and arguments in our head, which, which I don't know about you, but I have never lost a replay. But everything that this world lays out for us is based on our own effort. And we, no one knows what happens in the end. It's too dark to see that far ahead on the pathways that we walk on our own. That, that's part of what's been so hard about the last two years of walking through this pandemic is, is the uncertainty of it all. We're headed into our third Easter. I remember in March of 2020, when at first we were like, okay, we're going to lock down for a couple of weeks, maybe up to three, and then we'll be back. We'll probably have the whole church together for Easter Sunday. If you would have told me Easter Sunday 2022 or 2023, I think I would have collapsed. I don't think any of us could have taken that. We had no idea what was ahead, but we also moved forward with a level of certainty of saying this must be what's coming. But it's like walking down a path in the woods with no light on at night. We're all tripping and stumbling our way forward. But this is what makes Christianity and makes Christ unique. Every other major world religion is human effort reaching toward God. Buddhism says, the, the last sentence that the Buddha spoke was, strive without ceasing. And what do you gain? Well, you gain enlightenment. Hinduism says, come and try again. There's reincarnation. And the way you live this life will have implications for the next. And, and you look, and it's, a, it's based on karma. Islam, you work to please Allah and hope that you end up in heaven. But he's fickle. It's uncertain. In our own society, it's expressive individualism that has become religion for many that, that says look internally and look within. And what's the heaven? Is that you will finally find your true self. Often in our country, actually, is there's been a void of formal religion. Our country has made politics its religion. And it says, win this election. Everything is on the line with this vote. If it doesn't go the way that you want it to go, the world is going to end. And the goal that you get is either utopia or just, if we're honest, access to power. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, if you knew me, you'd know my father. He doesn't say strive without ceasing. He says, it is finished. We're redeemed. He doesn't say, come and try again. You have reincarnation and karma. He says, every one of you is going to die once and then face judgment, but we are justified. We are made righteous by his work on our behalf. He doesn't say, work to please God, not knowing what's going to happen or if you'll get to heaven in the end. He, instead, the gospel tells us, that, and Jesus tells us, your religion falls short. The best things you do are like filthy rags to me, but you are being adopted as children of God, and you don't need to earn your way to be a child. He, he, he doesn't say, look within yourself in order to find your true self. Instead, Jesus calls us to look beyond ourselves and to know that we're going to share in his glory. And he doesn't say, go win this election or go gain power, but instead he tells us kings and rulers will fail you over and over again. Don't put your trust and hope in them, but Christ is the true king who will reign forever. Amen. So this is the hope that we have. Jesus can bring us into the light because he has a perspective that we cannot have, and he has knowledge that we cannot have on our own. 
And then the third area he sheds light in is that Jesus is life even in the shadow of death. So I love this. He goes on to say again that he says, all right, I'm going away. Again, this isn't new. If, you've been, if you follow along, this came up already, and he's already told them this. Now, last time he said, I'm going away, do you remember what they said? You have a demon. And what do they say this time? Jesus says, all right, I'm going away, and they're confused, and they go, is he suicidal? Is he going to kill himself? Is that what he means? And they're still missing what he's saying. And he exposes a whole that our entire understanding of this life is, is terribly limited, and it's off. Every one of us. And as he goes on to say, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sin, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. And so he's saying here, you are based here. You are limited in your perspective to this life. Our, most of our goals and dreams are things limited to this life. And Jesus is saying, I've come from another place, and there is more than what you see in front of you. It's too limited, though. But the core issue here is we don't have a perspective, often enough, beyond this life and world. I mean, think about the goals that we have in our lives. What are your goals right now? I mean, it's DC, so I know some of you have five and 10-year plans that you're gonna end up scrapping in two. <laughs> but what are your goals? Usually our goals have different ties. They might be ties to money, like you've gotta make a certain amount in order to make it in DC if you wanna stay here, and then you start thinking about things like, am I gonna retire someday, and am I gonna to save toward retirement, and what does investment look like, and how do I get the salary that I need and want, and, or maybe it's not money for you, but it's, could be, it could be reputation. Like I, I wanna be known for a certain thing, and that's, everything is hanging on reputation. For some of you, it's degrees, and you're either pursuing them right now, or you have pursued them, and you, <laughs> you, you, you know, you try to push it off like you're kicking the dirt, but you just love it when you meet somebody and they're like, oh, cool, where did you go to school? And you're like, well, this place. No big deal. It could be position. You're climbing the ladder and you know where you want to get to, or it could be accomplishments. But you will not take any of that with you when you die. I was uh, with my daughter in Chicago last weekend doing a college visit, which makes me feel very old. <laughs> and, um, but she's a junior and starting to think that way. And so we were doing a college visit in Chicago, which is where I grew up, and so we got to hang out a couple of days downtown, and it was fun. And we spent about four hours in Chicago's Art Institute looking at, at incredible art. But they have this section on Egyptian art, and they had a, a mummy down there of one of the, one of the kings. And, it's still in its, I don't know, case. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't the sarcophagus, but the smaller um, coffin. And so, but it wasn't open, and they have all this jewelry. And it, just we were talking about this together, that, that Egypt is so fascinating. And looking back at Egypt is so fascinating. We're fascinated by the pyramids and the tombs and the different things. And it's, there's this kind of wonder about Egypt. And, and some of you have studied this far more than I have even. But seeing Egyptian artifacts is always curious to me because they literally, kings and rulers, were seen as gods, and they would literally store their organs in jars and their wealth in the tomb with them to take it with them. None of them accomplished that. Their tombs were raided, stuff was stolen, 
Now their bodies and coffins are put in display on museums in Chicago. <laughs> but they're still dead. We're, we die once and face judgment, and everything we earn and gain in this life is like the flowers or the grass. It has its moment of flash, and then it fades away. It's God's word that stands forever. I think about it this way, too, that our, our, our perspective is so much more limited than we think. And this is true, too. Like we're, This idea of globalization and the fast flow of information and social media makes us think that we have all of the information, and we do have access to more information than anyone in human history. That's true. But we still forget how limited that is. And I, I think about this, and maybe this is too crass, but whatever. Um, I, I'll talk about myself. I think I, my life is more like my dog Fozzie than I realize. Well, that's not true. Fozzie is, is only sweet and loving. <laughs> I tend to be more cynical because he doesn't have a cynical bone in his body. But, but think about his life. Fozzie doesn't make a lot of free choices in his life, but he thinks he does. He'll carry his food bowl out to us and then flip it over with his nose to make it clear this is empty. But that's about as, as far as it goes. Otherwise, most of his life is spent in a D.C. row house and on the same set of blocks as we walk around the neighborhood. And there are times then when we'll take him to other places and he'll experience other things, but, but he has no understanding of geopolitics. Doesn't care. He has no understanding of disease or pandemic, and he doesn't care. He is mostly concerned with whether he's gonna get walked, whether he's gonna get treats, where his toys are, and where there's cardboard that he can shred. And if he has those things, then he's happy. We're more like Fozzie than we want to admit. Our perspectives are limited. And everything that we have here, on our own, the pathway we are on is darkness and death. And it, because everything is based below. This is what Paul says in Romans 6 when he says, for the wages of sin, what we earn by walking in darkness, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is life, eternal life, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so it is a certainty that you will die. And most of us will be completely forgotten within three generations. Happy Sunday. But it's true. Even the most famous people in world history, we might know their accomplishments, we might know their bylines, we might know what they've written or what's been written about them, but they were forgotten as people within three generations. Nobody knows them anymore. None of us has interacted with Caesar Augustus or Socrates, unless you're Bill and Ted, which I realize that four of you are old enough to have seen. But what Jesus offers us is beyond this world. It's beyond this life. It's beyond our experience. What he offers us is based above. It's based in righteousness. It's based in life. This is why in 1 Corinthians 15, it tells us, this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. None of us can do that on our own. None of us is going to wake up in the morning and go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put on immortality. But what it says, when this perishable puts on the imperishable, when this mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? 
Oh, death, where is your sting? Well, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, death is scary. We should minimize that. Yes, it's scary. Why is it scary? Because we are stuck in sin on our own, and God's law shows us how short we fall of his holiness. And so it should be scary to think about the reality that Jesus brings light into judgment that is true because we know the dark recesses of our own hearts, and we don't want light shed there. It should concern us that it's impossible to know God without the light of Christ showing us the way, but thank God that there is some way that we are shown, but it is scary to us to realize that every one of us lives in the shadow of death, and we're incapable of outrunning it. But thank God that the victory has come through Christ. Now, if you want to live your life to accomplish all you can, to self-indulge, I mean, I know, helping out the occasional person here and there to feel good, then go for it. Everything you accomplish, you need to realize that you will still die. You won't be able to take it with you. And so what then? What comes next? Well, as we see here, our perspective is limited, but Jesus has perspective we can't have. Our, we're walking forward with no idea what comes next, but Jesus has knowledge that we can't have on our own. And we're living for our best lives now where Jesus is offering us that, that death will not defeat us in the end. All right, the fourth area that Jesus sheds light is that Jesus reveals God's word. And so they say to him, I love this, in, in verse 25, they say, uh, who are you? He says all this stuff of like, you're from below, I'm from above. You are from this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you're going to die in your sin unless you believe that I am he. And they go, all right, who are you then, Jesus? And this might be the first time that these leaders have asked the right question in all of this gospel so far. It's exactly the right question. And that's that's exactly why John wrote this gospel to show us who Jesus is. And Jesus, we already saw back in chapter one. This is what he's saying. Like, I've been telling you this all along. We see that, that way back in chapter one, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but Jesus has made him known. And so what he goes on to say here is, I've been telling you this from the beginning. And by the way, I have a lot to say to you, and there is a lot to judge, not by the flesh, but according to truth. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. So what is Jesus saying here? He is declaring to the world the things he has heard from God the Father. This is God's word mediated through Christ, who John calls the word of God made flesh. And so he is the one who reveals God to us. And we cannot have a full understanding of who God is apart from God's word, the Bible, and apart from Jesus. Now, this is what theologians call the difference between general revelation and special revelation. General revelation, it's talked about in Romans chapter 1, that you can look around us and see God's glory and majesty in creation. You can go to the mountains, and you could go to the beach, or, to, or snorkel and dive coral reefs. You can, you can go to, to open grasslands, if that's what you like. But we can go anywhere in this world and see echoes of God's character and majesty and creative power. 
but special revelation is God's self-revelation to us. And without that, we have no light that we can shed into who he is. This, again, is the difference between every other major world religion that strives to find God and is looking for a pathway to God versus Christianity is saying God took on flesh to reach out to us to make himself known. And Jesus reveals God's word to us. It tells us in another place that in, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So this is the way that we see what God is like and who God is is by looking at Jesus. Through him, we understand God more fully. And this is important to us because we have a tendency to shape God not by what God has self-revealed, but to shape God into what we think God ought to look like. Every one of us has this tendency. And so this is when we start messing with some of the things we don't like in Scripture, and usually when we talk about Scripture and people say, like, this is a really hard passage, I don't, I don't know what to do with it. There are some passages that are really hard to understand, that are unclear, that you have to really wrestle with, that it's difficult to get to the meaning of it. I don't think that's usually what we mean, though. What do we usually mean? I think we usually mean, I don't like it. This contradicts my sensibilities. This is not what God should be like. But we need to be careful because what ends up happening more often than not is we shape God into an idealized version of ourselves. We think about what the best version of us would be and imagine that must be God. But in doing that, we are shaping and molding God into our image and likeness rather than realizing that we have been created in God's image and likeness and need to be reshaped and reformed in Christ to reflect God more clearly. The difference between that is the difference between Christ shedding light into the who God is and us stumbling forward in darkness trying to define who God is. Because if God can never correct us, can never contradict us, if it's never hard to read a section of, of scripture, if God never offends us, then we're not being honest and we're worshiping ourselves. So the fifth area then, Jesus sheds light in that his judgment is true. He makes it possible to know God. His, his, he is life even in the shadow of death. He reveals God's word. And Jesus shows, sheds light in that God's grace to, comes to us through his death. None of his audience in our passage got this. He goes on, it says explicitly, they didn't understand that he'd been speaking to them about the Father. They just didn't get it. And so, what, so, because they didn't understand, Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Now, they didn't get this, but we know where this story is going. Even if you're not a Christian, you probably understand that, that Jesus went to a cross and died. This is historic reality. And so he was killed under Pontius Pilate, crucified on a cross. And so when he says the Son of Man must be lifted up, that is what he is referring to. He knew the mission that he had come on. John knew it, and that's why he says, like, hey, they didn't arrest him at this point, even though he was teaching these things and challenging them in the temple courts. But they didn't arrest him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Because God had a purpose that even these Pharisees couldn't get underneath. 
But here he's pointing to his own crucifixion when he would be physically lifted up on Golgotha, outside of the city, but looking over the holy city, that where he would be mocked and beaten and killed. And so we need to understand this, that the message of the entirety of Scripture, from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation, what we learn in this is that we walk in darkness on our own, and the darkness we walk in will, will get us death that we deserve. That is what our flesh earns us. But God has broken through and pursued his people and is light and life. And so this is an important distinction here. Notice that that we don't get called to walk in the light. There are passages that, we, that that happens. Ephesians has that theme of walking that's written throughout it. But here, it's important the way that John captures this. And, and that Jesus, and Jesus' words here are important. It doesn't say walk in the light of life here. It says at the beginning, remember that subtitle verse, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what grace is. Let me explain. If we make our lives about working to walk in the light, then we are turning to our own religious actions as the foundation for our salvation in life. And so it's, it, we do this, that, that we can moralize this, and, and then what we're doing is we are acting in the power of our own flesh in order to try to earn our way into the light that Jesus brought. That, if we are working in our own flesh, what does it earn us? The wages, okay, somebody's here. The wages of sin is death. But if we have the light of life, if we are following Jesus, we are given that. What did it take? Well, it takes the Son of Man being lifted up. See, John, all the way throughout, what he's building toward is something that, that I don't think we feel the full weight of the contradiction of it because none of us has experienced the reality of crucifixion or seen that implemented. But what he is saying is that when the Son of Man was lifted up, when Jesus was killed as a common criminal, tortured and killed outside of the city, that his glory, the glory of the incarnate Christ was in the cross. It wasn't in spite of the cross, it was through the cross. And so if we want to see and taste and experience the glory of Jesus, we have to start by looking at the cross and seeing that the Son of Man was lifted up to die. And if we look to the one on the cross, then we have to realize that when he says in other Gospels, in Matthew and in Luke, if anybody's going to come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. That Jesus is inviting us into his pathway into his steps to walk into suffering and the darkness of death itself, trusting that on the other side of death, we have a God who can raise the dead to life. And that there is greater glory in resurrected life than anything we can ever experience in life before it. So those who heard Jesus that day, some of them walked away and kept plotting to kill him. That started in chapter 5, that they were already scheming ways that they could arrest him and kill him. They've been trying to arrest him through chapter 6 and chapter 7. Now in chapter 8, he, it's explicit. He wasn't arrested because it wasn't his hour yet. But it tells us here that some of them believed, that many of them believed. And so this is what it comes down to for us today. Jesus, in John's gospel, 
is making a clear claim that he is the light of the world. He's not a light in the world. He is the light of the world. He shows us that if we want to understand what true judgment is, he's the one that has the light of it. If we, want to, if we want to know God, he's the one that lights that path. If we, want, if we want to experience life when we're in the shadow of death, it's Jesus who brings the light of life. That if we want to understand God's word, that he is the one who sheds light on it and reveals it to us. And if, if we want to experience God's grace, it is through his death that we receive the fullness of God's grace and that the light comes to us so that we are not walk, trying to walk toward it, but we have the light within us. Is what it tells us in 2 Corinthians that every one of us who follows Jesus has been entrusted with the gospel of God and the face of Jesus Christ, that we carry around the glorious light of God's gospel, even though we are frail, cracked, broken jars of clay. And so the question today is where are you going? Are you going to continue to walk your own way? and continue toward darkness, determined that you're gonna find your way on your own? Or will you hear the voice of Jesus calling you to the light? Will you hear him? Will you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit? Will you sense the love of God the Father for you today, adopting you as, a, as his child? The, the darkness around us is overwhelming. And it seems to just get worse week by week, but. But in Christ, the light of life has dawned, and and the warmth and beauty and clarity and wonder of God's glory is in store for us who are in Jesus and turn to him in belief. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus and have come here today, there's encouragement here. Rest. Rest. The harder you're working to find your way to the light, the farther you're getting from it. There is nothing around us in our lives or in this world that are beyond God's sovereignty. Father, Son, and Spirit aren't wringing their hands in anxiety right now trying to figure out how to straighten things out. God sees everything. God is everywhere, and God has power over all things. And when we realize and admit to our own limitations and powerlessness then we can finally come to a place of turning things over to God and thank God that when we look at situations like what's happening in Ukraine and our hearts are broken and we feel the tension and the the despair of what we're watching on the news or reading on, on, on different sites, that as we feel all those things and want to do something, that we can actually believe that there is a God who knows all things and is over all things and that prayer matters because we are coming to God, throwing our cares on him and asking God to intervene in ways that only God can. And so rest. You don't have the capacity to carry the burdens of this world, but Jesus is carrying them for you. Let's pray. Father, it's hard when things seem dark, and it feels dark often. It feels like even some of the glimmers of light we get aren't as bright as we hope they'd be. So 
So we pray today that you would help us, that you would move in our hearts. I pray today that that there would be some here and some joining us from other places that, that would see and realize and feel not only the conviction that they're walking in their own power and their own path and that it is uncertain and that they don't know where it's going and it is in darkness, but would also finally turn and rest in the comfort and warmth of your love. Father, thank you that you don't call us to work harder, to try to do better, to earn our way, to make our own light, but instead you have given us the light of your glory in Christ. And so would you help us to rest in him, to admit our own frailty and limitations, and to rest in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray today. Amen.